Welcome to Spill the Tea, a bi-weekly download of life, liberty, and the latest in culture and news with your hosts, Dr. Robert McClure and Sal Nuzzo. Welcome to another edition of Spill the Tea here at the James Madison Institute. I am Bob McClure, President and CEO of the James Madison Institute, here with Sal Nuzzo, Back from vacation, our Vice President of Public Policy here. Welcome back, Sal. We weren't Thank sure you. you were going to return. Yeah, it was a couple weeks of vacation. Did uh, anything notable happen while I was gone? In no, the, uh, really States. not much going on. Yeah. Not much on social media. Yeah. It was pretty quiet. Oh, excellent. Good to How hear. was the vacation? Where'd you go? Fantastic. Uh, took my girls up to uh, uh, New York City for a food tour. Uh, and then uh, took them over to uh, St. Thomas and St. John's in the U.S. Virgin Islands for a week with a big group of friends and family. Had a blast. Glad to be back stateside, though, uh, in the free state of Florida. Um, I, I will say it was quite a bit of uh, some. It was some tumultuous times over the last couple of weeks. Really, were they checking uh, vaccine passports as you were traveling the country? So, in the world? interestingly enough, uh, about three months beforehand. We would have had to submit our vaccine uh, passport or vaccine card information. About a month before we were set to leave, they did away with it. So there was no uh, vaccine mandate uh, or proof of vaccination required. Well, good. We're glad you're back. For those of you listening, uh, unless you live under a rock, you uh, may have heard that Roe v. Wade was overturned. Um, uh, from social media, you would think the entire universe was coming to an end and between the protests and the threats to justices and the fundraising emails, Sal, yeah. you would think that the world as we know it was coming to an end. Give me your thoughts on the Dobbs case. I have so many thoughts on this uh, You know, across the, the, the spectrum of this is a conservative victory 40-some years in the making. This is something that uh, has really been a part of the confirmation processes of Supreme Court justices dating back to Robert Bork in right. 1980-something uh, that is just kind of culminated in this. I do not believe a president other than Donald Trump would have been able to get those justices uh, not just nominated, but appointed right. and, and voted through. So I think one of the things that the uh, never Trump right is coming to grips with is the fact that uh, this is an accomplishment of the Trump agenda. He It was something that he promised to appoint originalist jurists uh, during his presidency, he did so. He stuck with them through all of the the you know kind of the the, the tribulations that the left put them through, uh, and did not abandon them. And as a result, uh, the 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 right has seen what, in my opinion, was a bad precedent overturned. Uh, and is rightly returned to the states. You know, it's interesting. There's so many things in what you just said. First of all, the political consultant class, regardless of party, won't get paid when we win. And so uh, that that's part of the reason that they don't like the, uh, the fact that conservatives are finally winning after 50 years. Secondly, the other aspect of this is that whether you're pro-choice or pro-life, and JMI takes no position on social issues, uh, this is a victory for both groups because now what is important to understand is this does not eliminate abortion. It moves it back to the states. 
And each state can make its own decision on abortion rights, and the argument becomes less about uh, figuratively burning down the house in order to get one's way, regardless of where you stand on abortion, and more uh, going to voters, going to the people in each of these states, and making your case. And once your case is made, it's like any other law. It's like anything else. When it becomes law, it is no longer this hot-button inflammatory component that was done in 1972. Uh, it becomes a, a an idea where you focus on the states. So each of the 50 states will have probably 50 different things they're going to do when it comes to this issue. What's also important, the last thing I'll say, is that even the left understood that when Harry Blackman wrote... Uh, the the um, decision in 1972, everyone knew it was bad law. Everyone knew it was bad law, and that's what's important to understand. Both the left and the right. Even our even Ruth Bader Ginsburg had at one point said right. that that the Roe v. Wade ruling was was not uh, correct. Um, a, another thing that I, I to piggyback on your point that I'll point out is that in his majority opinion, uh, Justice Samuel Alito wisely pointed out that the majority in the court was not imparting a standard on abortion. Right. In fact, it was the dissent that wanted to impart a standard, the standard being abortion on demand up until the point of birth, basically. Right. The majority was saying there should be no standard other than that which a state legislature comes up with. That is the concept of federalism that has made so much headway over the last you know, 10 years. I would suggest that even people on the left became fans of federalism when Donald Trump was elected president. Right. They believed that Donald Trump was an authoritarian, so they wanted the states to enact all of the laws that would, would subvert that. And so the concept of federalism, the idea that states matter more than the federal government, or at least should matter more should, than the fe yes. federal government, is one that you know, returns to our founding principles that have made our country what it is. That's right. That's totally true. Last thing I'll say on this before we move on to topics, I think that the decisions that uh, the Supreme Court are make, the decisions that are being made are driving a stake into the heart of the cancel culture, and it's pushing back uh, this idea that you must make your case, you must work within the process of your city, your your county, your state, and the federal government. And it's driving a stake in the heart of cancel culture, which I think is also always helpful. And, and while Roe v. Wade was, uh, or the Dobbs case, uh, was arguably the most high-profile uh, ruling from the court this term, I, I mean, there were some other Absolutely. big ones. This one, the New York law on concealed carry uh, regulations that got struck down. Undue think, burdens on concealed yep, carry, yes. That is going to have... Tons of ripple effects across many states that are onerously uh, kind of forbidding uh, concealed carry permits to be issued for you know right. unwise reasons or things along those lines. The high school coach who prayed yep. at uh, the fifty yard line the by Kennedy, himself, yep, the yep. Kennedy case. Yes, uh, that's one where I think the argument of we are we have freedom of religion not freedom from religion right. i think is an important concept for uh for the future of uh, kind of uh, the the path of religious freedom in the united states regardless of what the 
left might say or, or kind of uh, put forward on social media and all the opinion articles. I think that was a slam dunk case uh, as well. Yeah, just real quickly, the founders understood the kind of separation between church and state. First of all, those terms are not, not in, the Constitution, in the Constitution ever. It's from a letter uh, that um, Thomas Jefferson wrote to the Danbury Baptist Church. But the reality is, is that... Um, the, the that idea was to protect religion from an overbearing government more so than government from entanglement with religion. Precisely. All right, let's uh, let's shift gears. Talk a little bit more about COVID. Uh, I, I I'd like to think it's over. I think we are largely all past it, and yet the federal government still wants to kind of assert authoritarian kind of uh, ideas into dealing with uh, the virus itself. The CDC and FDA authorized the first round of COVID nineteen shots for infants as young as six months old. I, you know, and at the same time, you've got the CDC director falsely claiming that COVID's one of the leading causes of death for children. I mean, fear mongering on lies to try and push a therapeutic, not even a vaccine, on kids and infants now that probably do not need it. The sad thing is that the CDC and the FDA have now become political tools. Whereas at one point, whether it was true or not, the American people saw both agencies as um, dispensing of health and wellness uh, wisdom, for lack of a better term. But now they've become political tools, much like the DOJ and so much else going on in Washington, D.C. The reality is, in addition to what you just said, 0 to 17-year-olds comprise approximately 0.1%, not 1%, 0.1% of the total COVID-related deaths in the United States. And so what we saw in Florida is a pushback from our governor. Talk about that real quick. Yeah, sure. The, the, I mean, the governor came out very forcefully. He stood up. He not only discussed kind of uh, how blatantly political the CDC and FDA's decision-making has been, uh, he provided kind of a, a breath of fresh air basically saying that we are not in Florida going to have any state programs where we're trying to jab any six-month-olds uh, with a mRNA therapeutic. Uh, I mean... They are experimental still at this point. That's the reality of it. And while I am not in any way, shape, or form arguing that it has been extraordinarily helpful for individuals who then, subsequent to getting uh, the shots, have gotten COVID and it's a very mild case, it's absolutely evidence-based there. I don't think that... Either recommending or mandating the injection of an infant with an experimental vaccine is anything that should be on the table in the state of Florida. I totally agree. Uh, speaking of the governor, he's still signing and vetoing bills, uh, even at this late date. Uh, for those who are listening to the podcast, talk about some of the uh, interesting things that you've seen the governor sign and perhaps veto as well. Sure. Well, uh, the uh, the the signings, I mean, we kind of followed the parents' rights in education. Florida did sign into law a 15-week abortion ban, which is um, also being litigated uh, through the state court system, which is certainly going to have an impact right. based on the Dobbs case. Couple of interesting vetoes uh, that are notable this late in the date. Um, the alimony reform bill that had been passed three different times in its in the same language 
over the course of both the Rick Scott and now Ron DeSantis administrations have all been vetoed for exactly the same reason. The legislature's passed the reform bill, making it potentially retroactive on existing divorces and alimony judgments. That is unconstitutional as, as articulated by the governor in his veto letter. So that's one uh, big thing. Another one that kind of surprised me a bit because it was a priority of the Senate as they passed it was the big preemption bill that uh, the Senate uh, kind of championed and the House came along that would have required local governments to do these business impact statements as local governments impact right. business uh, revenues and allow for a business to sue a local government if the revenue impact mm -hmm. was more than 15%. Governor vetoed it. He said there were some unintended consequences uh, that were potential as a result of the bill. He vetoed that, that one. That was a surprise. The other one that surprised me was vetoing the water bill that would have provided a little bit more... Um, uh, accountability on the federal government versus what the state was doing, especially down in the Lake Okeechobee area. That was one where uh, I thought... What are your thoughts on why he vetoed the I, water bill? You know, there, interestingly enough, there were a couple of bills that he vetoed, that and the net metering bill, uh, reform bill, where uh, I actually saw tweets from Charlie Crist's account thanking the governor for vetoing those bills so there could have been some political calculation in there uh, i think the big question will be do those bills come back in another form in in a post-election session i think it's possible but we'll have to see but uh those were ones that kind of stood out to me yeah really interesting stuff Let's talk briefly about inflation. Not briefly. We have to talk about inflation. It's, it's affecting every family, every individual, every one of, the, of us, regardless of where you live across this country. 30-year uh, fixed rate uh, for a mortgage is now hovering right below 6%. That's double, double what we were looking at at the same time last year. And that's starting to seriously spook home buyers. And that's a direct impact of the Fed trying to deal with inflation right. through monetary policy. That's right. Uh, J.P. Morgan laid off over a thousand employees from its home lending division. Wells Fargo has cut hundreds of employees from its mortgage division, uh, and we're seeing this happen across the country. Inflation continues to rise, but the really important thing is, how is this going to affect your Fourth of July, Sal? Well, uh, it will likely affect. Uh what I eat, uh, I think while I might have normally done a grill out with some steaks and pork chops and some, some you know, some thick cut ribeyes, we may be going down to the hamburgers and hot dogs. Well, you got to be careful because hamburger buns are actually up 40% over last year. If you think, hey, chicken's a cheaper option, that won't work either because it's up over 55% from last year. Crazy what we're seeing. A slice of cheese. A slice of cheese is up 23% over last year. Overall, for the 4th of July sale, you're going to be paying 21% more than you did last year. So if you paid 100 bucks last year, you're paying $121 this year. And I bet your 4th of July is more than that. And sadly for you, that doesn't include alcohol. It doesn't? No. Oh, dear. Yes. Yeah, we're, 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 we may be going on the cheap. Right. We may be going on the cheap. Um, I will also be drinking say, a lot of Vizzy Seltzer. Yeah, I'm going to have to shift down from the high end bourbons to, right, uh, to, right. to bubbly waters. Um, I but will, in all seriousness, yes. this is a serious issue, and and it does portend a larger economic question, and that being 
as inflation continues to impact individuals' bottom lines and their their discretionary income, are we in fact in a recession, which given our inflationary uh, uh, projections would actually be stagflation? Right, right. There's no doubt about it. And I, I, has, I, I, I caution our listeners, uh, regardless of whether you live in the state of Florida or across the country, to focus on the Fed. The Fed cannot fix inflation alone. We have to focus on supply-side economics. And that means a couple of things. Reducing the regulatory environment at the federal level to improve supply chain management, you have to reduce regulations. And secondly, you have to think about uh, what the Fed is doing in the energy market. Why we, you know, energy affects every single thing we do, whether it's the grocery store, obviously gasoline every three or four days is is the obvious component of energy, but it's your utility bill. It's the trucks that bring the food to the grocery store. So between energy and reducing regulations for to improve the supply chain the federal government and and really you know the the democratic party the left wing of the democratic party is the poster child for more regulations and and no energy policy that increases uh, energy production in America a, a few weeks back uh, president biden made a political faux pas and by political faux pas i mean he told the truth he was at a uh, an event where he talked about the great transformation of energy in the United States, meaning that as prices for gas go up, it prompts folks to potentially consider alternatives. No chance. This is all part of the left-wing agenda, and it touches gas prices. It touches, uh, we'll dive in as we get uh, further on in the year on uh, ESG policy with respect to financial investing. Tell the tell the listeners what ESG sure. is in uh, 10 seconds or less. Environmental social governance uh, investing strategy where firms are basically given a score based on higher, how environmentally and climate and socially conscious they are. Uh, which flies in the face of proper investing. So imagine principles. if your 401k is governed by ESG principles. It's 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 instead of you know what makes the most money. It's it's horrible uh, for what could happen with investment going forward. Forget imagine. It is highly likely right now that your uh, that your 401k or at least a portion of it is in fact governed by ESG principles because they have been adopted by the three biggest hedge funds in the world. Let's talk more about that at a, on another podcast yep. moving forward because that's going to be important. Let's, let's land on some sports. Uh, sad day for the Tampa Bay uh, Lightning. The Bolts did not win the Stanley Cup. I guess we got to let other states have a little bit of victory some way, shape, or form here or there. It's something. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree. Florida seems to win and win and win. And in this case, uh, uh, Colorado gets to take home the Stanley Cup. It is a tough time for those of us who are sports fans. I keep refreshing, uh, you know, the CBS Sports website to see what's up, but everybody's reaching for something because there's really nothing going on. Obviously, Major League Baseball, but even if you're a Major League Baseball fan, it's too early to get worried or excited about where those races are going to go. It is never too early to worry about the New York Yankees doing really, really well right now pre-All-Star break. That is not normal. Or is Aaron Judge coming back to the Yankees? Uh, Which we, we, I'm not going to dive in on that one. Um, because I have uh, uh, my heart and my head are at odds on that one. Right. Um, but with that all being said, 
Um, the one thing that is kind of some sports drama that's going on right now, the PGA Tour and the new Saudi-backed LIV right. Tour, it seems like every day I'm reading some articles about uh, big uh, PGA stars jumping over to the LIV Tour, the PGA sanctioning, and all kinds of drama going on there. I'm a casual golf yep. watcher, very casual. I don't play golf. Um, but I do watch the the majors, and so for someone like me, this may seem shallow and it might even be sacrilegious to some of our listeners. As long as it doesn't really affect the majors for me, I'm not that too concerned about it. But I know some of our golfing purists are very upset about it. You're seeing, uh, you know, Roy McIlroy yeah. say he's never going over, but then you're seeing, you know. Um, Bryson and, right. and and the guy Bill and all of these right. you know. who are who are moving yep. to LIV. So it's a really interesting dynamic. But for someone who's a casual golf watcher, it's the majors that I worry about. And and, and part of the the thing that I wonder about is. Are we going to see something like what happened in uh, basketball or baseball or or football where you had those competing leagues 70, 60, 70 years ago that eventually like come together and figure out how they work together and make something for uh, for the spectator that, right. that's worthy of their attention? So. Speaking of competing leagues but not competing, are you going to watch the uh, USFL uh, equivalent of their Super Bowl? And I don't even know who's in it. Birmingham, maybe. I have. I. I, I heard that the USFL was coming back. Uh, I am admittedly not a big NFL fan at all. I am a huge college football fan. Me too. uh, But I just can't get in the NFL. So the USFL is like three steps removed. So I'm I'm out on that. Right. I totally agree. And uh, I guess we'll wrap it up with this. You you know and others uh, here at JMI know my youngest daughter's getting married in about 10 days. Uh, so I have tried to survive to the best that I can and just smile and wave and, um, keep moving forward, but that's happening on July night, July night, and, uh, we'll, uh, we'll all survive and it's going to be a happy moment. How's the checkbook balance hanging in there? Uh, Very thin at the moment. (laughs) I'm getting more thin, but, uh, you know what? At some point, yeah, well, yeah, it is worth it. It is worth it. But at some point, uh, it's like one of our board members here at JMI said, you know, Bob, uh, quit asking uh, why this costs so much. That's impolite. And so uh, I finally reached the point where that was good advice from one of our board members from Jacksonville. As the uh, as the proud dad of two girls currently age 14 and almost 13, uh, I, I look at you in awe and fear at the same time mm-hmm. uh, just for what's ahead of me. But uh, I, I, I congratulations to you. Well-deserved. She's a fantastic young lady. And uh, from what I've seen of her fiance, they're going to have a wonderful, uh, wonderful journey together. He's a great guy, super yep. guy, and uh, really excited uh, that he's going to be part of the family. So we'll we'll uh, we'll see where it goes. And on that note, we will conclude this episode of Spill the Tea. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Spill the Tea. For more content from the James Madison Institute. Follow us on social media or check out our website at jamesmadison.org.